With the KMT's popularity on the wane, one bright hope for Taiwan's largest opposition party is legislator Jiang Wan'an. He may be the great-grandson of the late General Li Simo Jiang Kai-shek, but he is popular. According to a KMT official, Jiang wants to vie for the next Taipei mayor, a position that is traditionally seen as a stepping stone to the presidency. Jiang is now beating all the other reported contenders in an online media poll, including the DPP's Minister of Health Chen Shizhong, who has led the nation's successful response to the COVID-19 pandemic. When reporters besieged Jiang with questions about whether he would run for Taipei mayor in 2022, Jiang did not give a direct answer. However, Huang Liu Jinru, the KMT Taipei chapter director, has confirmed Jiang will take part in the race. I have already spoken with him a few times. He says he will. He has the ambition and is accordingly preparing his next steps. The KMT Taipei chapter always gives me feedback about many people's aspirations and opinions. I believe the KMT will put forth the most suitable candidate in 2022. Within the ranks of the KMT, Taipei City Councillor Luo Zhechang has already expressed an interest in running for the post. Already he's been questioned about using the party resources to give a speech on a web channel while deliberately not inviting Jiang. This kind of dirty culture of spreading rumours by the KMT can stop. I believe this will not provoke me into fighting with Jiang. It's a contest between gentlemen. The more it's like this, the better. Even though the election is still two years away, speculation surrounding the electoral race for Taiwan's capital is heating up. Among the four names from each party that are most frequently cited, Jiang's support rate stands at 37.4%. In contrast, the DPP's health minister Chen stands at 35.1%, while support for the current Taipei deputy mayor Huang Shanshan stands at a mere 10.7%, and the NPP's Huang Guochang's support is 5.5%. Actually, there are still two years to go. I don't think this is an urgent matter. It's like an exam. The current phase is studying hard without thinking about the exam itself. You can start thinking about exams and election issues six months before the poll. With the DPP and KMT already preparing their power plays for this coveted post, the upcoming Taipei mayoral election is already becoming a political drama, even though it's still two years away. Despite demands from many younger members of the KMT for the party to relinquish the 1992 consensus, KMT chairman Johnny Chang appears to have sided with the party's senior ranks. Chang declared the consensus to be constitutional at the KMT's National Party Congress Sunday. The 1992 consensus is an informal agreement between the KMT and PRC that was reached back in 1992. It said that Taiwan is part of China, but each side is permitted to have their own interpretation of what China is.
The KMT National Congress grandly debuted on Sunday, where Chairman Johnny Chiang announced a number of internal party reforms. One of the most important ones was the future direction of its cross-strait policy. From the beginning, the KMT's statements regarding the 1992 consensus and the One China Separate Interpretations formula have always been rooted in our constitution. Therefore, we advocate the continuation of cross-strait interactions based on the 1992 consensus, which is embodied in the Constitution of the Republic of China, and we will seek ways for interactions that keep pace with the times. On stage, Chiang loudly declared the 1992 consensus had a constitutional foundation under the watchful eye of several party elders seated before him. According to sources, Chiang had met with some former party chairmen individually, including Lian Zhan, Wu Boshung, and former President Ma Ying-jeou, where it was decided to uphold the spirit of the almost three-decade-old informal agreement. After communicating with all involved, Chairman Chiang believes that adhering to the 1992 consensus and the One China Separate Interpretations formula does not go against the current direction of the KMT and Republic of China. Actually, young people sometimes don't always understand what the 1992 consensus actually is. In fact, if you ask them if they approve of the idea that the PRC should face up to the ROC's existence, they say they do. Then, if you ask them what should we do, should we get the PRC to hold a press conference and announce this, that's not going to happen. Chairman Chiang discussed many issues with us. I believe his position is consistent with everyone else's. During this period of time, Chiang has been coordinating with all who are involved, and that's been hard enough. The current situation is that we have integrated all the different opinions within the party, and the 1992 consensus was something we've reached an agreement on. Despite this, analysts have misgivings that reform-minded Chiang was forced to compromise under pressure from the party's old guard. Taiwan currently has more than 100 foreign missions in the forms of embassies and unofficial representative offices, but the majority of these are in leased properties, which set the government back a hefty 1 billion NT in rent payments each year. In response, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs is following a policy of acquiring properties to house these missions. Next year, transactions of the Los Angeles and Brisbane representative offices will be complete, which is expected to to save the government over 30 million NT in rent. A ruling party legislator says these real estate acquisitions are not only good investments, they also underscore Taiwan's determination to operate long term overseas. When President Tsai Ing-wen made a transit stop in the US last year, she attended a grand reception at Taiwan's New York representative office. This freestanding complex was purchased by the Taiwanese government in 2003 to the tune of 1.7 billion NT. Not only has the government saved the annual rent of 100 million NT, but the market price of the property has doubled several times over. Given this successful experience, the foreign ministry in recent years has been actively promoting a policy of purchasing properties for Taiwan's foreign missions. Properties coming into the Taiwan government's possession next year include the Los Angeles representative office, 
which was purchased for more than $1.06 billion, with future savings in rent amounting to nearly $25 million NT annually. Another purchase is the Brisbane Representative Office, which was a cool $176 million NT and will lead to savings of nearly $8.5 million NT in rent annually. Maintaining the value is definitely very important. That is to say, we need to evaluate each district or city and see if prices will appreciate or if there's a possibility of property prices moving upwards. What's most important is that we hope to demonstrate that we are setting up shop for the long term. Taiwan currently rents 116 properties and owns only 20, which make up just 17% of Taiwan's total number of foreign missions. The government budget earmarked for rent of diplomatic missions next year is at nearly 900 million NT. Representative officers or other liaison officers are usually based in each nation's capital or major cities. We encourage property purchases instead of renting because in the long term rents add up and get really expensive. Ruling party lawmakers are glad to see this development because purchasing properties that house foreign missions not only guarantees Taiwan's possession of the property, but they help retain the government's assets and ensure Taiwan's security. On Sunday, the Central Epidemic Command Center announced one new imported case of COVID-19, a man in his 40s who did business and lived in the Philippines. He already had a fever while he was still in the Philippines, but didn't seek medical help. He entered Taiwan on September 3rd, and the test came out positive on Sunday. Meanwhile, in the wake of the carry mask fiasco, Taiwan's customs officials have stepped up their screening efforts. Between August 10th and September 3rd, a total of more than 830,000 non-medical grade face masks that were falsely labeled made in Taiwan were seized and impounded. To help the public identify the origin of masks, the CECC says it's studying the feasibility of affixing embossed seals on domestically produced masks. Window gratings were once a ubiquitous sight in Taiwan. Starting around the 1950s, homeowners began installing stylized metal barriers in front of their windows to keep out thieves. But grating soon became more than a theft deterrent. They turned into elaborate labor-intensive works of art that reflected the taste and interests of those who commissioned them. Today, stylized gratings are mostly lost to history, although you can still find hidden treasures where you least expect. Our Sunday special report. He cuts long pieces of metal to size, then rounds the edges using a hand grinder. Metal worker Chiu Hongyi is in his studio, diligently tending to his craft. Today he is working on an intricate piece of window grating. It's an art that calls for bending metal pieces just so. The smaller the installation, the more skill is required to make it. Bigger pieces are easier to bend because their curvature is easier to form. The smaller the piece, the more difficult it is to bend, so smaller installations actually take more time. His days are spent in the company of metal, and he's driven by passion for what he does. Even when orders have been few and far between, he's never given up on his craft. 
Cho says that making window gratings reminds him of his childhood and the warmth of his family home. Where I lived as a child, there were window gratings everywhere. We were poor and we lived in a traditional three-sided courtyard house, whereas my classmates all lived in apartment buildings. Where we lived, everyone had window gratings. Back then, I thought the metal gratings were really beautiful. They evoke a sense of home. Window gratings were once a common sight in every street and alley in Taiwan. But just like the old buildings they were installed on, most metal gratings have been lost to time. Yet there are still some who appreciate the beauty of window gratings, who are working to reopen this window to the past. We follow Yang Chaojing and Xin Yongshen to the back alleys of Tainan. Turning a corner, we see Mount Fuji before a window. In Tainan, we occasionally come upon an alley where you see various images of mountains on gratings. They use these images because mountains give people a sense of timelessness and stability. Therefore, it's well suited for use on a building where it is an auspicious symbol. In the alleys of Tainan, we go on a treasure hunt for window gratings. At this cafe, we find gratings that architecture buffs would travel far and wide to see. In its past life, this cafe was the office of the Tainan Textile Merchants Association, which was established in 1946. The association's seal can be seen on the grating, its outer portion forming the character for Tainan. The inside forms the character for cloth. From 1950 to 1970, Taiwan's economy soared, and this style of residential building grew popular. Doubling as a theft deterrent, the window gratings also provided a pleasing aesthetic. Taiwan's economy began developing, and people began earning more and more money. As a consequence, there was a growing demand for theft prevention. Around that time, metal became popular as a building material around windows. People started thinking about how to deter thieves using metal, but also they were thinking of how to inject an aesthetic language into the design. In the early years, window gratings were all made by metal workers, completely by hand. Each grating conveyed information, often about the occupation or the interests of the property owner. Rising early, Mr. Xu pulls back the curtains, revealing a window grating inset with the shapes of many pairs of glasses. I thought that since spectacles are my trade, I'll get a window grating with glasses in it. Back then, lots of people stopped to look at it. When they walked past, they would wonder, why is this window like that? For half a century now, Mr. Xu has worked in the research and development of glasses. He created the first glasses frames ever manufactured in Taiwan. He built his business from the ground up and bought his home using his life savings. So that his home could represent what was dear to his heart, he hired a metal worker to make him a unique window grating showcasing spectacles. This is the simplest style of glasses. It would have been much more difficult to make the other frames in the catalog. There's metal welding involved, so it's more difficult. This is the simplest style that's easier to make. 
Taiwan's old buildings tell stories, and those with window gratings sing. We follow the melody and arrive at piano teacher Li Reiju's home. A few years ago, a chance opportunity brought her to Tainan, where she had a fortuitous encounter with this building. I walked over from that alley. When I walked over, I noticed a second floor window was on music notes. That caught my interest. Then after I opened this blue door, I saw this window grating and I began seeing the notes, so the owner rented it to me. The old building was filled with the design ideas of the original owner. The window grating, too, is shaped by the owner's creativity. It's really special. The owner used this piece of metal and made a hole right here. It's fixed in place, so of course you can't open the grating. But when there's an emergency, you just have to push this and you can get out. From what I've seen, most people around the world just have this part. This was the old owner's idea, and it's really convenient. You just insert this piece and you can lock it. Window gratings tell stories about their owner. They are also a stage for metal workers to display their talent. But in the 1980s, Taiwan's property market took off, and buildings started springing up at a much faster rate. Stainless steel and aluminum started becoming the materials of choice. And with that, window grating soon became a thing of the past. Today, this folk art form is kept alive in everyday life through creative products. Here, you can see the southern Taiwanese styling. You often see this cloud pattern, whereas in central Taiwan, you often see these four-petal spiral pattern flowers. In the north, you see more of this type of geometric pattern. If the Tokyo Olympics are staged next year, Taiwan's team will wear this quintessentially Taiwanese imagery for the world to see. If you look closely, you can see many plum flowers as well as some intricate window grating flower patterns. You can also see some of the grating structure in the pattern. Kaohsiung-born clothing designer Zhou Yuying spotted this plum pattern grating at a military dependence village in Zhuoying. He transformed the pattern into a design for the Olympic team's uniforms. I feel that when our team goes abroad, they'll be interacting with foreigners who might ask them, what is this image on your uniform? Our athletes will have a story to tell them. Everyone comes from a different place and every window grating evokes different memories. Window gratings were my greatest source of design inspiration. Through the gratings of a window, one can revisit the lives of the past to rediscover a vibrant chapter of Taiwan's aesthetic history. Well, it's been a beautiful weekend with balmy weather island-wide. Taiwan is currently bathed in northerly winds that bring cool, dry air as Typhoon Haishen pulls away from the western Pacific region. According to the Central Weather Bureau, the fall-like weather will last another day or two. Starting Wednesday, a low-pressure system will usher in brief showers. The sun came out early in the morning, but unlike a regular summer day, it felt autumnal thanks to the northerly winds. It's September and fall is already in the air. 
。那可以看到，就是台风在外围的一个云。The intensity of Super Typhoon Haishen has lessened, bringing northerly winds to the island. While Taiwan has not been affected by the storm, some weather stations recorded temperatures below 20 degrees early on Sunday morning. Currently, the wind field mostly contains winds blowing from the north that are bringing in dry air. Add radiative cooling in the morning, and what you get are lower temperatures. Sunday and Monday are a departure from summer weather. On Sunday morning, weather stations in Miaoli and Xinjiu both recorded 19.5 degrees. Dashi and Taoyuan saw a cool 20 degrees, with daytime temperatures at around 32 to 34 degrees. On Tuesday, with an increase in moisture in the air, the weather will change. On the 8th, the Hualien Taidong area will see brief scattered showers. Other places may see afternoon thunder showers. From the 9th all the way to the weekend, Taiwan will be influenced by a low pressure system. Starting Tuesday, there will be rain in the Hualien Taidong area. And on Wednesday, afternoon thunder showers can occur in all regions. And this pattern won't let up until Saturday. Now that Typhoon Haishen has left the region, the Pacific has returned to its previous calm. There's no sign of any tropical disturbances for now. We can only watch and wait to see if there will be any more typhoons in September.